Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast, where, at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus. Today, we are in week three of our teaching series, The King's Speech, a summer in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's listen in. So we're talking about the King's Speech. We'll jump right into this. You ready? If you were here for the last time I preached, this is going to be completely different. So if you didn't like that, you might like this one. If you like that one, you might not like this one. Or you just might not like this one at all. I don't know. But the King's Speech, you know, it's, it's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He's on the mountain. He's talking to his followers. And in a speech, in a paper, in a sermon, you always start out with some information, right? And then before you finish the introduction, you hit the thesis statement. You hit the most important part of the sermon. You hit the most important part of the speech. And then everything else builds off of that. Everything before it led up to that point, and everything after it follows that point. This week, we're at the thesis statement. This is the most important four verses of the speech. Because everything that flows before and after this is based on these four verses. So let's read them together. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The key here is the law. And the law presents itself throughout Scripture. It starts with Genesis, which is the idea like it's, we're leading up to the law. And then we get to Exodus, and the law is given. And then we wander around with the law for a little while. And then we get to Deuteronomy, and the law is re-given. And then it plays itself out throughout Scripture. The law is one of the most important pieces of Scripture. To the Jews, the Scripture is the law the law and the prophets. It's the most important part. But for Christians, sometimes we don't value the law. The law is like spinach. Okay? When I was a kid, I hated spinach. I hated the idea of spinach. It was gross. It was disgusting. Then I met Amanda, and she made me try spinach. I was like, huh, this isn't that bad. So, in this past month, when I went to Subway the other day with Hadley, I got spinach on my sandwich, because spinach is delicious. I was cooking uh, pasta the other day, and 
well, the way I cook pasta, I like. Cause it's vegetarian right now. I'm working on it. But you do the onions and the peppers and the mushrooms, and then I threw some spinach in there. And it just added that little bit of flavor, just a little bit different. And if you see me eating a salad, it will probably be like spinach with other things with it. I like spinach. I just don't like canned spinach because that's a little weird. But spinach is delicious. I started out not loving spinach, and now I do. That's what I want the law to be. So if you've ever heard someone say the law is bad, or, you know, we have the law and then the gospel, I want you, the point of today is for you to fall in love with the law and understand what it is to a little small degree because I don't think any of us can completely understand it. But that's the, uh, that's the goal. So my thesis statement is that you will love the law. And one of the things we have to look at is when Jesus was born, he was born into the law. He wasn't born the way we are. We are born in the new covenant in Christian faith, but Jesus was born under, this, under these rules. He was born in a place where he had to obey all the rules. And we know that he was without sin, so we know that he obeyed all of those rules. So Jesus loved the law. But Jesus was also God, right? So it's not that he was subject to them just as a human, but he was also as God, the creator of the law. It was, he had a, a special relationship that no one else could have. And so because he was the one who created the law, he could then fulfill the law also. And we're going to look at that right now. So we have to take a step back and say, well, what is the law? We're going to go back in time. Is everybody ready to get in the time tunnel? Have you guys seen Dinosaur Train? Let me tell you something. Dinosaur Train with the time tunnel, you'll never get past it. So we're going to get in the time tunnel, and we're going to go back to that point in Deuteronomy when the law is being restated. And in the ancient Near East, around the time that Israel was leaving uh, Egypt and moving to the Promised Land, there was a thing called the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Has anyone ever heard of that? Because I hadn't heard of it till this year, and I was like, whoa, that's awesome. So the Suzerain Vassal Treaty was a treaty between a king and a people. A king and a lesser kingdom. And they existed all over the ancient Near East. You see them later on in the Old Testament when... Um, Babylon, or the Assyrians come and they demand tribute from Judah. Well, why do they do that? Because they're the suzerain and Judah is the vassal. But in the Old Testament law, the suzerain, the king, is God. And the vassals are the people. So by making this treaty, they're no longer just the people of Israel. They become the nation of Israel. The treaty makes them a nation. I know if that makes sense, because the first time I heard it, I was like, um, huh? But the, by making a treaty with the king, they became a nation. So in Deuteronomy, that's what we see. Then we move to Joshua. And in Joshua, they're now a nation, but they don't have a land. So in Joshua, the suzerain grants them the land, the promised land, and helps them conquer it. So the king helps them do that. 
And then we go to Judges. And right now, Hadley and I are in the book of Judges. We're reading through the Bible. There's some weird parts you have to skip sometimes as a parent. Um, But we're reading through Judges, and there's the line, and the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? And it repeats itself. In the Suzerain Vassal Treaty, one of the parts was the vassals would serve the king. They would give tribute. And in, in this system, that tribute was the sacrifices. And the king would offer protection. In Judges, the people stopped offering sacrifices. They stopped serving the king. And what did the king do? He removed his protection. And then when they cried out to him, the king would return and offer a judge. And then later on in Samuel, the people are desperate for a king, which grieves God's heart and Samuel's heart. But even then, the king says, okay, I will provide them protection. They will serve me, and I will give them what they want. And if you look at how that lasted, it didn't work well. They still did the wrong things from time to time. So finally they go, and they are taken away in exile. The king says, I can't do this anymore. These people are crazy. We're going to teach them a lesson. The protection is removed, and they are carried off. So now they are a nation without a land, which means they're not really a nation. If you look at, like, the book of Esther— God's name never appears in Esther. And one of the ideas behind that is that's how the people felt in exile, that God wasn't there. He was gone. The king was no longer with him, no longer offered that protection. But the king did come back, and he brought his people back to the nation of Israel. At that point, they started to understand that if we do our part, the king will protect us. So what did they do? They made the law superimposing. And they put extra rules on top of the law so that they could make sure that they kept the treaty with their king. And that's where Jesus comes in. And he says, look, I didn't come to abolish that. I didn't come to here to abolish the treaty that was made. I didn't come here to say I'm not going to protect you. I didn't come here to say you're not going to serve me. I didn't come here to do any of those things. I came to fulfill it. And now that I am here, if you serve me, I will protect you. We'll talk more about what that means next week. This is one of those crazy sermons where if you come back next week, you're going to get a lot more because... I want to talk more about what does this mean to accomplish the law. And, and Jesus, the next, the rest of the chapter is just Jesus explaining what that means. And we're going to talk about that a lot next week. So the, the accomplishment is Jesus saying, now that I am here, now that the creator of the treaty is here, now that the king is here, you can serve the king directly. You don't have to do it through the system. And in so doing, I will protect you. So that's the first two verses. That's verses 17 and 18. And then Jesus kind of shifts a little bit. He stays on topic, but there's a little bit of a turn. And in verse 19 and 20, 
we see that two different groups are contrasted. And it's, it was a little diff- difficult. Like when I was reading it, I was a little confused at times. Probably because, well, whatever. But I was a little confused. And the, the two groups contrasted are in verse 19. He talks about those in the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 20, he talks about those outside the kingdom of heaven. It's not like we, we read it so often. Or let me rephrase that. I have read it so often and read verse 19 and said, So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called not in the kingdom of heaven. That's what I've always read it. But that's not what it says. It says you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus turns and he's kind of talking to his followers and says, look, if you do what I'm going to tell you to do, and if you teach others to do what I'm going to tell you to do, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. If you don't, if you set these things aside, you won't be, you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But both of those groups are in the kingdom of heaven. There's a combination there. I really don't know. Again, next week we're going to get into a lot more of like, what does this mean? And what are the things that Jesus is talking about? But verse 20 is the one that everything kind of hinges on. So we talked about those verses, and I hope that we understand them better than I did when I started this. But verse 20 is the one that is shocking. It raises the bar. This statement would have been upsetting to his listeners. Verse 20 says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness is better than the best, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You're done. You're not in. Unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you can't do it. That's a shocking statement. Because for the Jews, following the law was the way to be in the kingdom of heaven. Following the rabbis, following the Pharisees, following the scribes, the teachers of the law, that was how you did it. And in this statement, Jesus says, unless you are more righteous than them, you're not in. And it's a very shocking statement. And almost one that I wonder if we really understand sometimes. So I have made an illustration. Is everyone ready for the illustration? All right. So imagine the thing that you love the very most. The activity, whatever it is, I don't even know. Whatever you love most. Something that you can do. Everyone got their thing? Now imagine the person that is the very best at that thing. That sometimes takes a little bit longer. So now that you have the person, you have the thing, and the person is the very best at that thing, I'm going to make you a deal. The only way you can stay alive is if you are better than that person. How's that working out for everybody? It's a really hard thing to do. 
And I want to say that that's not even like the way the game is played. The game is even harder than that. I wrote this one down. In football, sorry, if you don't like football, I've got another one, I promise. In football, in college football, there's the Heisman Trophy winner. The Heisman Trophy winner is the best college player that year. What's funny is if you look at like the list of Heisman Trophy players and how they did in the NFL, the professional league, some of them don't do so well. They play a couple years and they're gone. They're not good enough. They were the best college player the year they played college football. The, their best year. But then they go to the NFL, the pro league, and they're out. They were the very best. And then they're out. Maybe your thing is singing. Or you like American Idol. So imagine that you win American Idol. You're the best of American Idol. So I, did, I looked it up. Statistically, the best American Idol winner is Carrie Underwood. She has sold 16 million albums. It's five albums. She started in 2005. I know way too much about this already. 16 million albums. I think that's pretty good. But she's still not better than my dear Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has also put out five albums. She started a year after in 2006, and she has sold 27 million albums in the U.S. That doesn't include worldwide, because I didn't remember if Carrie Underwood did or not. So same number of albums. She has 11 million more albums than the very best of American Idol. And this is how we have to think about it. Our very best is still not good enough. Being better than the best is impossible. And, and, this, and Jesus' hearers were understanding the impossible task. They were starting to grasp, this is going to be the hardest thing ever. How am I going to get in the kingdom of heaven? What in the world am I going to do? to get into the kingdom of heaven if the very best of the best can't get in? What is the law good for if I can't follow it and get into heaven? My entire life has been based on this law, this treaty that was made my entire life, and yet it's not good enough? What am I going to do? In the next few verses, also known as next week, we'll talk about that talk about what Jesus is saying and he'll make it clear just what fulfillment of the law is and we'll look at Jeremiah the prophet during the exile and we'll see something that he said that is influential in how we understand the law today but for today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 and Paul is writing to a group who is trying to use the law after Jesus is gone to try to gain Christianity still. And Paul says this, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. I really want you guys to love the law. The entire Old Testament is beautiful. Without it, we would not know a lot about what we know about God. 
his nature is is there in the law. We see the first com- the, the most important commandment is to love your God with all your heart. We see his nature kind of come into view and then and then when we get to Jesus we see it embodied in, and and he is here. But if all you do is love what's in front of in after Jesus' birth and you're like, oh, the Old Testament's cool, but it's not as important. First off, that's not what the people in the New Testament would have said, so we shouldn't say that. And second, it's definitely not what Jesus would have said. He loved the law. The law also shows our need for a Savior. Without it, would we know what sin is? Some people say, well, yeah, because, like, we're moral people. According to the Bible, we're evil people. And the law shows us that we're evil and shows us that we need a Savior. So I want you to love the law because Jesus loved the law. It shows the nature of God. And it shows your need for a Savior. And then out of that love for the law flows the love for the Savior. I want you to love the Savior who showed us the inadequacies of the law. And he, sh- he is going to point out, again, next week. You should show up next week. It's going to be good. He points out, like, this is what the law is. This is what it actually is. I'm going to tell you what it actually is, guys. But this is his statement of, this is what it, I'm going to tell you next week. Or for Jesus, I will tell you in a few minutes, but sorry. But this love for the Savior that came to redeem us, it's there because we understand how inadequate we are. The more you can understand, like, wow, I'm, I could never do those things, the more you understand your need for a Savior. The more you understand, like, wow, I've done a lot of those things in the last week that Jesus talked about. The more you understand how awesome it is that he says, yeah, it's okay. You understand when it, in Judges, when they do evil for 40 years, and they cry out to God for help, and he sends someone to help them. That, like, blew Hadley's mind. She's like, why is he, like, sending help for him? Like, why didn't he make him wait a week? I think that's what she said. <laughs> I was like, well, if, I said, if you cried out to God, would you want him to wait a week? I guess not. The law tells us we're not worth it. And the Savior says, it's okay because I'm still the king and I'm going to get you. I don't know if that was clear. This is really hard to write. I just want to throw that out there. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Next week should be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about all the sins that you all do all the time. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being here with us today. I pray that this week as we go, that we'll dive into the law and we'll look at it and, and, and look at the beauties of, of what you did in the past. I pray that, God, your law will be written on our hearts and that we will follow God's law as well as we can. And God, that when we mess up, not if, but when, 
Jesus, we know that we can call out to you and you will rescue us. Thank you, King Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great week. Come back next week. Next week, next week, next week. And also, sign up for Marriage Night. It'll be fun. We'll see you all then. Thanks for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We hope that you have a great week. We would love to invite you to join us at Motion City Church every Sunday morning at 1030 at Falwell School in South Minneapolis. To find out more information about Motion City Church, please go to www.motioncitychurch.com or you can follow us at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter.